Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I am your host, Juliet Lamar, and we have with us today Portia Mills. She is the Marketing VP at NetVote. Welcome, Portia. Hi, how are you, Juliet? Thank you so much for introducing me. Of course, of course. We're really excited to learn more about NetVote and what you're doing over there. So why don't you give us an overview of, of NetVote? Sure. Uh, well, so NetVote is an open source, interoperable blockchain voting protocol. Um, I guess the jargon term in there is interoperable. And what that means from our perspective is that it'll be developed in different blockchain solutions, so not just one. So the the point of the, the voting protocol and the associated dApps is that governments, corporations, and organizations can use the voting protocol to better engage voters. And there's not necessarily a, a specific target for the type of election that could be used to, um, that, that, that um, you know, NetVote could support. So often people think about government elections when they think about voting, but there's actually a, quite a bit of voting activity and other types of group decision-making systems. So um, the open source protocol would support a variety of different feature functionality to allow any kind of group decision-making system to build an application that would work for their governance and their their electric, their uh, voting population. I really feel like blockchain is a no-brainer like, solution for, for voting because we always hear about you know, voter fraud and and things of that nature, go into why it's so important and why blockchain is such a great solution for this. Sure. So I think what you said is is accurate, and we would we would um, believe that as well, which is why we're developing a voting solution on blockchain. Um, before I go into sort of why I think it is uniquely suited to solve some of voting's challenges today, I think it's important to, to say from the get-go, there is no silver bullet, right? Technology... Mm-hmm has never solved people problems or political problems, but it can help uh, ameliorate certain problems and it can certainly um, shed light on problems and and make it easier for for pitfalls and and fraud and different types of things like that. So that being said, um, the nature of blockchain as it relates to voting is that it is potentially the the e-voting solution that we've been looking for. Um, if you remember, I don't know, about a decade back, we sort of tried e-voting as a solution to paper voting and and were pretty much let down, especially in like the um, the arenas of, of of public elections due to incidents of fraud and worries about hacking. And then if you set aside those concerns, which are certainly extremely significant, um, you also just have cost. Electronic voting isn't necessarily uh, less expensive than paper ballots, and in most cases is more expensive. So you're actually just transferring and magnifying the, the problems with paper voting into an electronic system where you have just as many of the issues with fraud and um, distrust. And a lot of those are related to the fact that you have like a single point of vulnerability, right? So with a traditional electronic voting solution where you're going through a server, People are casting their ballots. It's going to a server, and that one server can be a place where someone, a malicious party, or what have you, could go to 
pack the, the vote or access it early or dump a bunch of electronic votes fraudulently. Um, so you have that concern. And then in addition to that, you're adding a third party middleman where there's, you know, services and technology uh, costs associated. And when, when with respect to um, voting, it, it, voting technology, you're actually creating like electron election specific technology that needs to be an infrastructure that needs to be developed just for the purposes of casting a ballot, which people don't do on a daily basis. On average, people, they, they, you know, ballots are cast on a daily basis all over the world, but the average voter, no matter what they're voting for, whether it's for their local PTA or whether it's for their union or whether it's for an elected representative is not casting a ballot every day. So you're creating infrastructure that has to be paid for and maintained that's not being used regularly. So if you think about uh, shifting to an alternative, you know, a lot of there's been a lot of news lately, at least in the election space, about um, a bill in the U.S. Um, House to go back to paper voting or to at least require it. Now, whether or not you, you know you think that's a necessary thing, and you, there are people who would argue having paper ballots alongside electronic voting is a good thing because it gives us kind of a second place to to validate the vote. But if you think about blockchain as an alternative for electronic voting or blockchain as a solution for electronic voting, you're removing a lot of the concerns around security and hacking because you're removing that single point of vulnerability. And you're also removing the need to establish election-specific infrastructure. And I think that's the part where there's a, an enormous opportunity for cost savings. If we can run an election on blockchain, then we can leverage existing infrastructure that's being used for all other kinds of many different types of things um, beyond voting, which, as I said before, only happens infrequently for any voter, no matter the the, uh, the system. Well, I mean, that's it's like you're saying, it's offering this this very hopefully non-hackable way of doing things. And, you know, that, that's part of the problem for when people are voting is that with a paper ballot, you know, it's time and effort. So you have to be pretty motivated to put in that time and effort to cast your vote. A lot of people just think, oh, I have to fill it out. I don't want to. But if it's online, even if it's the same amount of work, people still feel like it's less somehow. Yeah, I mean, I think there's that element. Um, I guess I mean, one of the things I like to do is walk through different scenarios because I don't necessarily think that voting on blockchain tomorrow will look all that different than what voting looks like today. Um, and there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, so first of all, like disruptive technology cannot disrupt critical systems if it's actually going to succeed as a technological solution, right? Like no electoral body out there, group decision-making system or government is saying, we just can't wait for some technology to come along and disrupt the way we run elections. Like that's just, it's bad marketing. It would be bad for business. And actually, I really don't want to disrupt anything. I want to make it better, right? So, um, so, you know, what would blockchain voting look like in the United States? tomorrow if we were to implement it. I think realistically what it would look like is that the areas where traditional voting is a problem, blockchain would fill the gap. So where is traditional voting a problem? It's a problem for people who are deployed in service of their country and have to vote absentee. Um, absentee mm -hmm. ballots are often not counted or they're counted later if there's a, a contest in the election results. Um, you have to rely on the mail, which you know, is problematic in and of itself because it introduces, again, a, a point of vulnerability for your ballot that's being cast. And then it has to go to the place by a different, you know, mail carriers that are transporting it. Um, 
So there's actually a competitor of NetVotes that just recently did a pilot with um, a United States um, population of military folks. It was a limited pilot. So that's actually a really great use case. So, you know, folks that are deployed in service of their country should be able to cast a ballot and have it count and know that it counted and know that it was secure and know that it was private. Um, another, op- uh, another opportunity for improvement would be in populations, in the, and, and again, I'm just using the United States for this government elections for the sake of simplicity in this, in this particular example, populations who need or prefer to vote absentee because of the nature of their work or where they live. So there, you know, many, many of the, uh, most of the population of the U.S. is concentrated on the coast and the east and west coast, and they live near cities or towns. And getting to a polling station isn't a huge chore for a lot of people, but there are some people who can't get off of work. Um, And there are a Mm -hmm. lot of people who live and whose votes count in equal measure who don't live within um, a convenient distance of a polling station or who have jobs in manufacturing, mining, fishing, farming, um, you know, whatever, uh, where, where getting to a polling station means taking time off of work or having to leave or, or, you know, actually merchant mariners are another example. If you're at sea when you, you need to cast a ballot, um, you know, what do you do? So that's another, you know, group of people where remote voting or mobile voting or mo- voting on the internet makes a lot of sense. And it is in a huge portion of the population. So the U.S. government could probably adopt that type of new approach or offer that solution for that group of people, and it would improve their ability to cast a ballot. And this is gets, gets away from like, it's hard to cast a ballot on paper, but just is it actually physically possible for a person to do that? And their alternative is sending a ballot in through the U.S. mail, which isn't necessarily a great solution. Um, and another possible example would be people who are disabled and who can't get to polling station um, or who can't read the ballot. So one of the examples I really like are um, folks with visual impairment. Now we've got like an aging population of baby boomers where I've, I've um, heard a statistic that one in three baby boomers will um, effectively go blind in their lifetime. Their wow. vote should still count, right? Like they should still be able to vote. And if you think about all the technology that we use every day, um, our mobile phone, um, whether it's an Android device or it's Apple, we can use it, and even if we're not blind, to, to get directions, say, hey, Siri, hey, Google, how do I get from here to there? Um, or there's a, there's a feature where, like, the voice um, feature on the phone will read, read an app to you. And that enhancement for apps that are built this way allows for an app to be, like, the contents of the app to be read to someone's visual impairment. And that technology is just a natural extension of what these phones and technologies are already being developed to do for just general population, not those with visual impairment. So if you take that a step farther, if you develop a voting application that is um, capable of addressing the needs of those with, uh, you know, the blind population, those that can't see properly or can't read without assistance, you're allowing them to vote in a way that's secure and private that meets their needs and that doesn't require having a third party there or building a, um, you know, a braille ballot or something like that, which, which is costlier because you're not, again, going back to existing infrastructure, leveraging technology that already is designed to do exactly what it's doing. So I think those areas in, you know, established democracies like the United States, Canada, um, Switzerland, England, what have you, 
are going to be areas of penetration where blockchain will be able to make inroads without having to um, fight uh, like an emotional um, battle around paper ballots versus electronic voting. Um, there's a lot of other use cases. I, those what that, 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 those, the, the government election, you know, use cases tend to be the most emotionally interesting to people. And obviously they are to us as well, because that's what has the biggest impact on our lives. But there's, there are so many other types of group decision-making systems that we participate in as humans, depending on what we do and where we are in our life that affect our children, that affect our jobs, that affect, you know, our favorite sports teams, that affect our, our corporate shares, et cetera. Um, where there's probably even bigger opportunity for blockchain to make a difference because, you know, just the nature of those systems are, they're a little bit more, um, I don't know, welcoming of a, of a potential um, solution that's not necessarily, um, you know, going back to paper or something like that. So I guess walk us through how your voting protocol works. And I know that also tokens are involved, so we can touch on maybe both of those things. Um, sure. So where we are right now is we're in, um, I guess we're approaching the second year of technology development. So we've been building in Ethereum and it is an open source project. So for those coders out there, people that want to get involved, um, the project is available on GitHub. Um, we believe that the, the project necessarily needs to be and will continue to be open source um, and nonprofit. So um, I, I can go more into how the technology um, will work in a second, but I think kind of the vision around the way it'll be developed is really important um, for, for its adoption because I think this is a big differentiator for us and some of the other folks out there that are, are working on solutions based on blockchain. Um, so open source is the, is the first thing that we think is necessary for this to take off. We need, there's so many different types of um, requirements when it comes to different types of um, elections, even just in the United States, um, the way that ballots are structured is, is different from state to state in a, in a, in a significant way. So there's, there's the need to have contribution from that perspective. Um, but just keeping it open source and nonprofit means that we can have a solution that um, is price stable. So when we talk about um, like what it will cost per ballot, we're talking about like 10 to 25 cents per ballot versus what it costs today to run an election, which is, I think, between five and $25 per voter. So that's, that's taking the cost significantly down from the technology perspective. And if you move blockchain solution to a proprietary um, scenario, you run into problems around economies of scale. So if you want to maintain the value of your company and your product, um, and adoption occurs, which is, you know, probably the goal of most of these blockchain projects that are trying to solve the voting problem, uh, you run the risk of driving the cost of the platform up. So one of the ways we're trying to solve for that is to, to maintain development of the project um, in, as an open source and nonprofit um, project. In terms of the way that the project, um, or in terms of the way that the protocol works, um, I mean, you know, from, from the perspective of a voter, is sort of, I mean, it, it, there's, it wouldn't really affect how a voter votes, right? So from the, it, you know, if you, if you think about electronic voting, so it, it, if you go to a polling station or you go online to um, a, an app or you use your phone for, you know, accessing the ballot or whatever, there's not going to be this whole 
need to understand tokens and getting a token or whatever. Um, that whole aspect of the technological um, feature functionality would be dealt with from the by the election administrators and those who implement the technology as a solution for that particular election. So that being said, in order to run an election, an election administrator would have to acquire the number of um, tokens necessary for their population. So in the first uh, iteration of this, it would be a token. An election administrator would say, okay, I've got a population of a million people that I want to vote on blockchain using NetVote. I need a million vote tokens. And so that's a utility token. They acquire the vote tokens at anywhere between 10, or let's just say 10 cents per, per, per voter. And those vote tokens would be used to enable voting on NetVote's blockchain. The second thing that would have to be determined would be, you know, what the voting protocol um, would be built on. So right now, I should have net votes built on Ethereum, but there's a list of priorities around which blockchains we'll be developing on. And so um, an, an election, an electoral, an election administrator could determine that they want a private blockchain or that they want to use, um, you know, I don't know, one of many different kinds of blockchains for reasons around um, that particular, like, technical requirements of that uh, that uh, election or that voting body. Um, and so once that's determined, then there would be a tested version of that protocol and that protocol would be used to develop distributed apps for that election. Um, NetVote believes that um, partner integrators would be playing a big role in this. So as much as NetVote will be playing a role from the perspective of evangelizing um, blockchain voting and election best practices, we know and we believe that our partners are going to be playing as, as big, if not a bigger role in actually making these um, these things uh, reality for election administrators. So the development of the apps would be something that ultimately would be in the hands of um, those organizations that are out there now providing solutions and services to election administrators. Um, and, you know, then the the election, if you're if it's going to be a strictly electronic solution, would be available as either um, an app on a mobile device or as a um, an app on your you know uh, computer through web services. Fantastic. I mean, it seems it seems like it's going to be an easy an easier way. You're trying to make it as simple as possible, even though it is a, quite a complicated problem. It, I mean, it is a complicated problem on on the one hand, and on the other, it's not. Um, I mean, as you said earlier, I think blockchain is sort of uniquely suited to solve the voting problem. Mm -hmm. And one of the statistics, one of the things I like to throw out there when I'm talking about this is how many, how many like ballots are being cast in the world on average. Um, and I, I did some playing around with the numbers to see what I could come up with because it just seemed like that would be worth knowing, right? If we're, if we're trying to, to establish a, a solution. So I came up with a conservative es um, estimate and, um, it's about 3 billion ballots cast in the world on average, and that's in every type of voting ecosystem. So like government, non-governmental, and corporate. And I think that's a conservative estimate, but it's also an estimate that is reflective of actual voting numbers, not capacity. So, so the capacity for voting is five times that if you, if you count like people who are eligible to vote who don't. Mm. So you know, and, and, and you could argue people don't vote because of apathy, people don't vote because of access, which is something you brought up, um, and people don't vote because, it, you know, it's complicated or they think their vote doesn't count or something like that. 
Um, and in some some ecosystems and some um, you know developing democracies, people don't vote because they're afraid to vote or they'll be intimidated or whatever. Um, so some of the some of the features that we're trying to build into the platform address that, and that's just where that's where it gets. I think interesting and sophisticated, right? So I wouldn't necessarily call it complicated. So one of the technology functionalities that we're talking about is partnering with different um, different companies, like and different projects like Civis and um, ProCivis and ID2020 that are working to um, provide identity for people in different ways besides like a government ID, so like a biometric ID, or and um, and this is something that would facilitate voter registration and help protect voter identity, right? Uh, again, I don't think necessarily that um, every voting system is going to adopt something like that right away. We probably would have to work with integrating to validate people's IDs based on government-issued IDs at first. Um, so that would just be an additional feature that's built in. Um, we talked about the possibility of having a solution for people with visual impairment. So that's another technical feature that has to be developed into the protocol. Um, and then you've got um, features like uh, coercion proofing. So getting, getting, uh, providing voters in um, certain voting ecosystems where, um, where, there is, where, is there, where there is the concern for voter intimidation, one of the solutions that we're building in is the ability for voters to have two pins to check their ID. One would be a false pin where they would show a potential intimidator um, who they voted for, and it wouldn't be a real their real ballot. And the other one would be their real pin, where they would have access to their their vote and be able to check their vote. Um, so again, as I said earlier, it's not technology isn't going to fix people. People are still going to do bad things and try to cheat and <laughs> try to um, <laughs> you know intimidate. And I you know I I believe in the goodness of humanity, but I mean there are still bad people out there, and this is not going to fix that. But um, it does start helping, um, you know, fix some of the some of the issues, and it provides people with solutions instead of just saying, "Well, you know what? We'll go back to paper because paper is safer." And I and that's I've heard that from technologists in this space, and I find it really interesting because I mean, we just went through an election in Russia, and there was ballot stuffing, chain voting, which is not blockchain voting, is the practice of selling off your ballot to someone else to let someone else vote for your vote for whoever they want to vote for. <laughs> So, I mean, like, I don't know how paper voting solves issues around corruption and fraud. Um, I do think that the right electronic voting solution can help decrease the chances of that. Um, will it go away completely? No, probably not. But that's why organizations like ours and our competitors and our partners have to be involved with the conversations about better governance and better um, election practices. Absolutely. But thank you, Portia Mills, for coming on and, and sharing this wealth of information about, about NetVote and, and just giving us a little insight into this world that affects pretty much all of us, um, but not a lot of people really dive deep into. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm very passionate about it. My background is in international relations and economics, and I've always worked in technology, and I love finding um, companies and projects that are developing a solution for like the right type of solution for a problem that is, um, you know, as important as, as the voting problem, so to speak. 100%. Well, thank you again, Portia. It's been, it's been truly insightful and 
Like I said, just just giving us a lot of little nuggets to think about. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm, I think it, there, there's a probably a whole bunch of different rabbit holes you could go down with, with um, talking <laughs> about blockchain voting, but I try to keep it fairly high level with examples that people can can sink their teeth into. And again, it just gives you food for thought. And I think that's the whole the whole idea right now. Absolutely. That was Portia Mills. She is the marketing VP at NetVote. You can learn more about NetVote by going to netvote.io. Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us here today on Feature Tech Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliet Lamar. Thank you so much for tuning in. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.